From KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is the local coronavirus update for Monday, February 8, 2021. With Ukiah ER physician Dr. Drew Colfax and KZYX Program Director Alicia Bales. Since the start of the pandemic, Dr. Colfax has come on KZYX every Monday and Wednesday afternoons at 3 o'clock with the latest coronavirus information and answers to listeners' questions. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes. Good afternoon. This is Alicia Bills in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. So you worked this weekend? I have, yes. How are you feeling? Just great. Got any good war stories from the ER? <laughs> it's a small county, so I can't really share them. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. right. I can't. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be a good TV show? Yeah. You can't make this stuff up <laughs> would be the title of it. <laughs> so this is the local coronavirus update. We have been coming to you every Monday and Wednesday for a very long time now to bring you the latest local coronavirus news, numbers, and more recently, trying to figure out how to inform you about vaccination opportunities. And remember when everybody wanted to know where and how to get tested? Nobody cares about that anymore, apparently. That's old news. (laughs) Um, Yeah, now it's where and how to get vaccinated. Seems much more pressing. It's much more positive and optimistic to find out that you're going to not get this thing rather than that you have it. Yeah. Anyhow, what's the latest for us today? Well, the latest is actually um, things locally are still fairly flat, whereas things statewide and nationally are continuing to improve quite a bit. Um, Our case count, as of yesterday, was a tick over 3,600. We are still averaging 20 cases a day in this county on average, um, and that's been pretty steady. Um, So California's down almost 50% over two weeks, but Mendocino County might be down 2%, 5%, 2%, 5%, not a lot. Huh. Um, so everybody else around us, or at least particularly the south uh, of the state, uh, has improved markedly. But it still is very much here, and I can attest to that having just worked the last four or five shifts in the ER. Um, our positivity rate is still um, over 7%, uh, and our hospital utilization is still manageable. Um, only nine as of yesterday. It's higher now um, in the hospital with a couple in the ICU. But the good news is hospitalization or hospital utilization is continuing to drop statewide. So the sort of crush and the lack of transfer um, capabilities that we are experiencing two to three weeks ago has eased considerably, uh, which which is really quite good news indeed. Um, the other good news is the vaccination continues to roll forward Um Particularly in this county, we are looking at a county right now that is about 20% vaccinated, which if Mendocino County were a state in the nation would put us number one. Um, So that is pretty astounding. That really is. Yeah. So we are doing just about twice uh, the number, twice the percentage um, as the state of California. California is kind of in the middle of the pack as states go, but we're doing quite well um, in a state that's kind of mediocre right now. Huh. And so when you say 20%, how do you know how what that number of, of vaccinations is then? 
Well, I mean, twenty percent is what? It's eighty-five thousand people in this county. So we're talking sixteen, seventeen thousand people that have been vaccinated with at least one shot so far. I know that Adventist um, has vaccinated. Um, well, it's probably over 4,000 um, people in the county um, as of today. Um, the public health department hasn't updated their numbers for over a week, so we don't have the latest numbers from them. Um, but still, the numbers generally are quite good in terms of our rate of administration in this county. Well, we had some requests on Friday. I opened up the phone lines asking people for feedback on our coronavirus coverage. And one of the things, people were very nice about it, actually. A lot of compliments to you and, and to our station for the work Maybe I should quit doing. my day job <laughs> or my night job, as the case may be. I don't yeah. think that would be a wise decision for your <laughs> career. Um, but one thing people were hoping we could, could do is provide some regular announcements about vaccine opportunities, vaccination clinics and events and things like that. Well, well that sounds easy. Well, dear listeners, <laughs> I just tried. I really did. Um I was not able to get a word from the county yet. Uh, Adventists told me that they have nothing scheduled at this time, but they're waiting for supplies from the state. Uh, And from Anderson Valley Health Center, we have two second-dose clinics happening this week, all by appointment. So don't go down there or call them. Well, they will be calling um, you. So if you received your first dose three to four weeks ago, they will be calling you and telling you when and where to come in for your second. So for people who got their first dose on January 14th, that vaccination event will be Thursday, this Thursday the 11th. And for people who got their first dose on January 16th, they're going to hold a vaccination event on Saturday the 13th. And so far, um, the county has been getting in the second doses in a timely manner. So we haven't had sort of this worrisome or anxiety-inducing scenario where you don't get your second dose in the proper time frame. Probably not as big of a deal as we think it may be or as we fear it may be. Um, But again, that's speculation as we don't really have good data on that yet. Right. And so that when I called around to the different clinics, the ones that I was able to reach, uh, they're all doing second dose stuff this week so mendocino coast clinics is also doing second doses but they are giving vaccines to their patients only and will be calling those who've had their first doses to schedule and then down in wallala redwood coast medical services they're doing vaccinations this week also by invitation only so don't show up to get their vaccine but but wait until you are invited and these events are on thursday and sunday at the wallala firehouse and thursday the event is is a first dose event and sunday is all second dose vaccines so i mean i was able to find a little bit not the kind of clear like bullet points that i was hoping for well and i i think still um i don't think it's a local issue i don't think it's a county issue the problem is really we're not getting any clarity um from the state as to when the supply is coming in and how much is coming in so it's it's that problem and that failure that is translating into frustration right. at the county level. Right. Right. And the fact that this is all new and it's very, the stakes are very high and people are working as fast as they can. But, yeah, so we'll keep working on that for you. I did not get anything from the county yet, but I will do the best I can. <laughs> so, programming note, we have... Oh, yes. couple. Doctor, a couple programming notes. Yes, You go first. Okay, so Dr. Casey Johnston is going to be joining us today at 3.15 to talk about schools reopening. Yes. 
We are going to be entering into special coverage for the impeachment trial in the Senate of somebody. Uh, (laughs) And that will probably preempt us on Wednesday. And maybe Monday. And possibly next Monday as well. Okay. Heads up. Sounds good. I'll be back whenever I need to be back. Other worrisome news, storm clouds on the horizon, if you will. Um, AstraZeneca's uh, vaccine rollout in South Africa was suspended. Um, Maybe not the wisest move, but certainly um, a worrisome um, development because it was found that it was not very effective in the dominant strain that is in South Africa right now. That strain, it should be noted, is also in the U.S., though is not the dominant strain here yet. We aren't using the AstraZeneca vaccine, but it's not very clear whether these vaccines that we are currently using are equally effective against this strain. So all the more reason to try to get this under control before it continues to mutate and spread um, amongst us in a form that may or may not require a reworking of the vaccines that we currently have. The other big news was Johnson Johnson finally applied for their EUA or the emergency use authorization um, that went in the end of last week and will probably translate into approval by the FDA by the end of this month and we will hopefully start to see a fairly robust deployment of the Johnson Johnson vaccine by mid-March. That's the 65% effective one. No, don't 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 be too anxious. I'm That's a single a, dose I'm vaccine, um, and the the trials on the two that we currently have are dual dose vaccines. So they are testing a second dose on with the Johnson and Johnson, um, and I suspect it will be shown to be equally effective uh, with a booster shot. But that data just has not been released yet. Well, I think we have Dr. Johnston on the line. Hello, Casey, are you there? Yeah, hi, I am here. That was, <laughs> Thanks for having me. That. Was very, Hello, Casey. Very smooth there. Yeah. Hi, thanks for calling in. Hi, yeah, thanks. So, you, how many kids do you have? Like nine or ten, twelve kids? Of my own? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have four children. Four, four too many. That's for sure. Jeez. <laughs> no, no, they're a, they're a joy. Yeah. They're a joy. <laughs> Welcome to KCYX. <laughs> Thank you. So you've been pretty active in trying to get schools or pushing to get schools reopened in the county um, and reached out to me over the weekend wanting to sort of talk about some of the issues and the data that's been um, published over the course of the last several months. Do you want to just sort of summarize where we are and where we're headed, hopefully in the next uh, few weeks to a month or so? Yeah, so... um Several school districts and schools in our county are hoping to reopen in a hybrid school model, um, schools on February 16th. And my understanding is that it's still being based on our case rate, though, in our county. So we have to be below 25 per 100,000 cases for five days in a row. Now, we were at that number um, <laughs> last week, um, and hopefully we'll, we'll be at that number February 16th to get the kids back to the schools. And, and if we're not at that number, is there a way to get around that? My understanding is there's, there's not a way, like there's no, and I, and I think there should be a way, a waiver, because we can't go day, to, I mean, it's unfair to the schools, too, to go day by day 
you know, oh, tomorrow we're going to be open. Oh, no, we had a day of, you know, too high of cases. Um, I think that's kind of impractical and unreasonable to expect schools. Um, or parents, kind for of that be, matter. You know, yeah, or parents. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of planning. Um, so my understanding, though, that there is no waiver process or exception to this state state rule. Okay. And you want to talk about what we've seen in districts, um, some of which are quite proximate to us, that have had their schools open, um, if not all along, certainly for a substantial portion of the fall and winter. Yeah, so I can talk about some more local data and then also some data that was published from all over the country and even in world as well. But kind of the more local data, I mean, I, I would encourage people to look at actually the school's in our county that have been open, you know, St. Mary's, the Waldorf School, um, programs like the City of Ukiah, you know, sports and after-school programs, the Boys and Girls Club, and my knowledge, there has not been any big outbreaks. There's no, um, you know, school, uh, kids being back in those settings has not led to increase in community rates or hospitalization or anything like that locally. Um, in Northern California, there's data out of um, uh, Marin County um, that UCSF uh, physicians have reviewed. And let's see, I'm just getting the numbers here. I believe it was 40,000 students and 5,000 teachers in Marin County who were on campus since September. And when the UCSF data was published, there were only six possible school transmitted cases. Those weren't even like 100% for sure they were gotten at the school, but it was thought maybe they had gotten um, COVID at the school. But it was only six out of, you know, tens of thousands of students um, and teachers. And it and those cases did not lead to outbreaks. They were caught and, you know, <laughs> kind of, and, and protocols were followed, so they did not lead to increased hospitalization in the community or increased rates in the community. Um, I do want to, yeah, briefly go over to the... Um, the JAMA um, article from uh, that reviews the CDC um, research on schools all over the country, and pretty much, so it was published January 26th, um, so just last month, and it concludes that schools are like a pretty safe place, actually, if standard precautions such as masking and social distancing and good ventilation are followed. Um, it's actually a really, you know, relatively safe environment. Um, one of the most powerful, um, some of the most powerful data in that, uh, in that study came from North Carolina, for instance. They, they looked at the, the data from 11 school districts, over 90,000 students over the course of this school year um, and thousands of teachers and staff. And they were really only a handful of school transmitted cases and there were zero, so zero student to teacher transmitted COVID cases. And this is over 90,000 students, many, many teachers and staff over the course of the school year, zero student to teacher transmitted COVID cases. And this is, this is all pre-vaccine. It should be noted. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's, it's all pre-vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as a non-doctor in the conversation, of course, on social media and among my parent friends, there's a lot of concern about studies showing that 
people are getting sick and there are hot spots in schools and teachers dying and all of this stuff. Can you can you just give us some advice about how to think critically about the things that we're seeing online? And and, because it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, there really isn't uh, a lot of risk. There haven't been schools haven't been hot spots. And so how can we sort of use our best judgment and, and weigh the, the scary stories that we're seeing, you know, give them the, the lack of credit or, you know, compare good sources on this. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really important point. I mean, if yeah, the data overall is showing that schools and, and students, children are not drivers of COVID transmission. So I think a really important point is distinguishing between children and teachers who are part of the school that get COVID from the community or their family or, you know, a friend from outside the school and dif- differentiating between those cases and cases that are transmitted within the school. So that's really important. You know, in the news, yeah, you may hear of a teacher or a student who got really sick from COVID, but it never really mentions like if they got it from the school or if, you know, that student or teacher got it from the community or a family member or whatnot. So that's um, really important. Um, All these precautions like masking, social distancing, ventilation, these precautions work. I mean, you look in our hospitals where really sick people are or our clinics. I mean, the clinics, like I'm basically using similar precautions that would be used in school. And, you know, we don't see, we see people with COVID coming here, but we don't see them being transmitted between people in the clinic. So it's a similar concept for the school. Like we, the point of all the masking and social distancing is to prevent, you know, catching these cases um, uh, and preventing them from being transmitted within the school. If that, yeah. And it should be noted that a lot of the news items talk about schools going into quarantine, you know, X number of kids having to go into quarantine because there's a positive case. But that oftentimes will ultimately prove to be some child or teacher who walked into the school with COVID um, rather than picking it up at the school. And the, the quarantine reflects sort of the potential exposure to that COVID patient rather than a significant outbreak um, at the school. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent point as well. It's it's the reason we have these precautions to yeah. catch, you know, to catch the to detect COVID in someone coming to the school and then preventing it from being spread between classmates or spread to, to the community. I mean, that's that's the reason we're following um, these guidelines for reopening schools. We're not bringing kids back into packed classrooms with no masks with you know, we're, we're bringing them back in a very controlled, cautious environment. And it should also be noted, I mean, it's it's really a wane of risk. I mean, going back to school is, you know, obviously in the midst of a pandemic that is still not very well controlled. Um, it's not going to be completely risk-free, right? But what we do know is that um, kids continuing to do this remote learning has significant risk. Um, that is a known risk that we are currently subjecting our kids to. Um compared to a very minute um, and controllable uh, risk associated with going back to school. Mm-hmm. All right, well, can we yeah, open up the phone lines, and if anybody has any questions for you, Dr. Johnston, we can, we can uh, about the schools and, and pediatrics and that kind of stuff. We can see if there are any questions for you. 
Sure. So, so I, I actually have a question for you, um, Casey. Um, my my concern is what. So the holdup at this point in terms of opening the school, the the districts are on board. Uh, public health is on board. I know, um, and I presume a lot of parents are on board. Is the is the problem then going to be simply getting under this state mandated threshold to author to allow authorization of reopening? Is that the single? Um, hang up at this point? That's my, I mean, I could be wrong, but that is my understanding is that the, you know, this is all based on the case rate being below 25 per 100,000. Um, so, I mean, all these, st- it, I mean, the schools and superintendents and, you know, public health office, like there's been so much work that has gone back into bringing kids back to school, but it's still held up by state restrictions, which is extremely frustrating. Aren't there still questions about testing and who's going to pay for the weekly testing as well? There, um, I think that's still being worked out, the details. Um, the state uh, did have a subsidi- subsidized testing program that I believe at least Ukiah Unified was going to utilize, but still there's going to be cost. Um it wasn't a free testing program. Um, there is some financial incentive from the governor um, for schools that get kids back to the classroom. Um, but my understanding was that there was still a lot of challenges in, in funding, um, yeah, surveillance testing and, and all that. All right. The number here is 895-2448, 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update. Let's take a call. Hello, caller. You live on the air. Hi. Um, I, I'm a little confused um, since there's. It doesn't sound like there's almost any danger at all for uh, the schools. Yet, a family friend who's a, a fleet mechanic has got his vaccine, and uh, the, the, there seems to be a lot of people with vaccines that aren't worried about the pandemic, and the old folks are waiting in line. Uh, you know, half of the callers this afternoon will be looking for the vaccine. Yeah, that that's certainly a frustration, and I think I've made the point over and over again that you know the people that are are actually getting sick and dying from this pandemic are the elderly and the people who are living um, in congregate facilities, whether it's a, yeah. whether it's and, a nursing home or a prison or a jail, um, or in. Or in, in in a group living situation with their school age children too. Well, that is a, that is a concern. So, if you live in a multi generational household, you would have to make an individual determination as to whether you want to have your kid go back to school and come back yeah. and be around an unvaccinated eighty year old who lives with that school age child. That is a risk that I think is real, although maybe not easily quantified. Um, but your point is well taken. The problem is this is a this is a state mandated sort of tiered system that we're we're struggling with, um, and right now we're trying to vaccinate people 75 and up in this county. We're doing a very good job of it, I might add, but there's still just not enough supply, and that's really what we're stuck with. Yes, it's kind of bizarre that we're vaccinating very healthy 23 year olds if they're essential workers. Um, because, you know, we know that their risk of getting quite sick from this is extraordinarily low um, when compared to, say, a 74-year-old. Yeah, it's a good many point. Many of us over 65 that are essential workers, and uh, 
we'll still be penalized for our Social Security if we start drawing it too soon. So we're kind of stuck in the middle. <laughs> I'm just wearing my mask and wait my turn. Yeah, just hang in there. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the lot. call. Take yep. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hello. I just wanted to say that the county posted three clinics on their website today. They're all at the fairgrounds, and they're all second-dose Moderna for people who had their first dose on or before January 15th. Wednesday, it's 1 to 5. Thursday and Friday, it's 9 to 5, and you can schedule your, your appointment right on the website. Wow, they must have just posted that because I checked it before I drove yeah. down here. I, I checked it about nine ten this morning, and it was up then. Okay. So they put it. I think they put it on this morning. And anyway, I just wanted to make sure you guys all knew you're such an important uh, avenue for getting information out to the community. So there you have it. Yep, I can see that on their website. It looks like they have it sorted by first dose clinics, which there are none this week. Second dose clinics of Pfizer, which is uh, the tenth. Which what? that's. That's Wednesday? Um, no, wait a second. Um, they're all they're all second dose Moderna this week, the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. There are uh, Moderna clinics on the 10th, 11th, and the 12th, and also one Pfizer clinic on the 10th. Anyway, you can find that at mendocinocounty.org. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't see that on mine, but okay, uh, perfect. Yeah, and there are is a button where you can schedule your appointment as well. That's good. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're right. There it is. Second dose Pfizer. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Bye-bye. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, well, we still have uh, Casey Johnson on the phone. Um, Casey, you there? Yep, I'm here. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a question about the schools. You want to try? Let's go for okay. it. Okay. Hello, caller. Do you have a question about the schools? Um, yes, I, I had two questions. One okay. was about the schools. I just wanted to confirm. Um, so the kids are being tested first before they go back to school and then there's was supposed to be or there may be a weekly test but they'll be checked in the morning to see if they have a cough and fever is that how it's going to work or i'm still a little confused exactly on the step-by-step procedure um yeah yeah um so there there is going to be screening of symptoms every morning that the family is expected to do um and and taking the temperature as well is my understanding. And so, um, if a kid has any of the symptoms or fever, uh, you know they stay home and and hopefully you know the school's notified. Um, surveillance testing, uh, nothing has been. Well, some things have been sent out by the schools, but I, I think there's gonna it's gonna be more clear in the next in the next week or two. Um, the state uh, and the district has has guidelines, like depending on the case rate in the community, how often surveillance testing is, is going to be done. Um, for symptomatic um, teachers and students, you know, they, they'll, uh, they'll be tested. Most likely it will be by clinics and hospitals and those sorts of things for people who are symptomatic. Um, but the, the frequency of surveillance testing um, 
has uh, is still. I would say it has. They haven't kind of sent it out to all the families quite yet, but I expect in the next um, in the next week that will that will be more clear. So there will be some kind of literature in Spanish and English, both on the criteria before you actually let your child come to school. Like, if is there anyone in your family or in your immediate household that is showing signs or symptoms? If you check yes, the box, yes. and then please don't bring your student to school. Is that is that a yes. is that what's going to happen? Yes. So every morning. Um, yeah, every morning your kid goes to school, it's expected that the family goes over uh, a series of questions regarding the student and also, like, their, their close contacts. So if they have, you know, if a family member is positive, um, you know, that sort of thing. And the public health department and the school district has, have worked closely in developing, um, I mean, they have, a, they have a chart, basically, of, you know, all these different scenarios and, um you know, what the family and the, and the students instructed to do, like go get tested or, you know, quarantine for this amount of time. So there's going to be very clear guidelines um, given to all the families. Um, but, yeah, they're going to take into account any exposures at home, any, um, any symptoms, um, and, the, and, and, and also travel. So they're, uh, they're also saying if a family has traveled out of state, it's expected to, uh, they should quarantine for two weeks before coming back to school. Which brings me to my second question that doesn't have anything to do with schools. May I ask it or should I let someone else come on? No, go for, go go right for it. You're on the line. Um, I use the gas pump a lot, and I use a glove when I'm using the gas pump. I notice a lot of people, you have to, most folks have to pump gas of some kind. Is there something with the fumes of the fuel or the aluminum or the handle that the, uh, the virus doesn't seem to like? Is there something about gasoline, or should I be more should I be still stay concerned about about that? I I don't think there's anything about the fumes of pumping gas that um, attenuate or kill the virus. What we do know is that transmission from contact with surfaces is quite rare indeed. I think it's a good idea to you know sanitize your hands or wear gloves anytime you're pumping gas um, to be sure, or just use a paper towel from the station, um, you know, windshield cleaning station. But that risk is still quite low. Um, but the the gas fumes, I do not think, are playing a role in keeping that risk fairly low. Thank you. Yep. All right, other than just kind of being generally deadly to everything that comes into contact with it. Should we take one more call before we... Sure, we've got, we've got another doc on the line. Let's okay. take advantage of it. Hello, <laughs> caller. You are live on the air. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, this is Gregory again. I wanted to call about the, uh, the, the vaccine. I just uh, confirmed with Anderson Valley that um, mine is uh, on the 13th, and everybody who got vaccinated with me will be there Saturday the 13th. And so you're saying it's 10th, 11th, and 12th. Well, I don't know about those dates, but there's definitely the 13th, no, and the, I just thought I'd yeah, throw that in. The 10th, 11th, and 12th are the county's public health vaccine events at the Ukiah Fairgrounds, yeah, it, can, it, not well, the Anderson Valley Health Center. But there, there is one because they just called me right, uh, and uh, at the Anderson Valley Health Center on the thirteenth. Right, and those people are going to be contacted. This is a second dose vaccine clinic, so they will be all contacted by the health center. 
clear yeah, as right. mud. Yeah, right. I just thought it should be on the air uh, as well as Great. the others. Thank you. Appreciate that. Oh, okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, okay, we're going to try one more question you. here, caller. You are live on the air. If you can turn your radio off, that would be great. Hello, caller. You live? You live on the air? Oh, thank you. I know it's late. We, um, my neighbor and I were just sitting here wondering about how this pandemic was handled in 1918-ish. I'm wondering, like, it, it's amazing if anyone would have survived, that it, there's a man left on Earth, and um, how they might have handled uh, school. My mother was raised in central Nebraska in a farming community in the 1910s, and I don't think she missed it because it wasn't an option back then. <laughs> My second quick question is concerning this virus from South Africa. And what might be the, the difference, the physical difference in that one that makes it uh, stronger? Thank you, guys. We appreciate you so much. All right. Thanks for those questions. All right. So the, the to be clear, the 1918 pandemic resulted in a far greater uh, level of mortality, um, particularly by population basis, um, than this pandemic. So it was handled fairly well given the limitations of science and medicine at the time, um, but it was extremely deadly, far more deadly um, by an order of magnitude than World War I that had just concluded. Um, so let's just be very clear about that. But really what was done at that point was universal masking. And even then they knew that that worked and there wasn't sort of this false narrative that if um, you wore a mask you were somehow showing that you were anti-fa or anything like that. Uh, so it's, it's really quite clear that that's what got it finally under control. And in those jurisdictions that did not mandate masks Masking or enforced masking, there was much, much higher mortality compared to uh, rural areas or other areas of the country that had much higher compliance. The Midwest actually was quite good at masking, and they had a much lower fatality rate, perhaps because the cities aren't, they didn't have quite as concentrated as cities, um, but also they had a much higher compliance rate with masking. As to your second question about the uh, the South Africa variant um, B.1.351, um, there it has multiple mutations, um, and it, it appears to somehow affect how the virus is able to attach um, and lock into the um, body's cell structure, um, which makes it uh, more contagious, but it also... Um, apparently has some um, change in its structure that makes it more resistant to the vaccine um, immune response. Why it's more deadly, um, if it is in fact shown to be more deadly, I don't think we have that data yet, or at least I haven't seen it published yet. All right. Casey, uh, not exactly school questions, but... Uh, anything else you want no, to no, say I'm before... <laughs> yeah, anything else you want to touch on before uh, we, we wrap this up? Um, just uh, kind of talk about the, you know, surfaces. I think that is also an important um, thing to discuss with schools reopening. There's a lot of, I feel like there's still a lot of focus on cleaning playgrounds and surfaces, which is which is good to do. But I feel like it's more important, you know, just placing more emphasis on the masking, social distancing, you know, especially if you're not wearing a mask. 
Um, yeah, the CDC and others have have uh, researched this thoroughly, and um, you know, contact con- contact with surfaces is not, as you said, like a leading way of COVID transmission. Um, so it's it's really great to see some of the playgrounds reopening in town, and just you know, getting outdoor spaces open for kids um, is important. I don't think we need to stress as much on cleaning all these surfaces. So yeah, and I, 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 <laughs> it's I, kind I, of another point. I think sort of a corollary of that is you know ventilation, right? We really have learned that yeah. th- this virus is transmitted by aerosols and droplets you know, remaining suspended in closed spaces. So as schools reopen, I hope and anticipate they're going to reopen with windows open, um, fans going to just push the air through the building as quickly as possible, because that's going to go a long way toward mitigating uh, what is a very small risk. But the, the, surfaces, yeah, that- the surfaces is really a hangover from back in March and April and May when we really didn't understand how this was transmitted, and we were all obsessing about getting our mail and getting COVID from a carton of milk. And, you know, you know, it's just hard to let go of those oldie but goldies. Yeah, and and the schools have um, put a lot of thought into um, ventilate in, in improving ventilation, and I know they're telling parents to send their kids with layers of clothes um, because the expectation is that doors will be open as much as possible outside will happen, um, like including instruction and PE and all that stuff. So I think they're doing the schools really have thought through all these all these different things um as well it would be a good uh it'd be a good community foundation effort to uh provide uh warm clothing for kids who couldn't otherwise afford it perhaps but you know just food for thought but yes i think the scandinavian model of schooling is definitely the way to go what i agree like multiple sweaters (laughs) like multiple sweaters and go outside when it's 40 billion below zero yeah Yeah. well there's some pictures too out of the u.s like in in maine and and uh, like Minnesota, um, during this pandemic of classes being held out in the snow. Yeah, but like those people are all crazy. Snow. Those people are crazy, <laughs> keep in mind. Casey. I mean, yeah. Have you been around people from Maine? They are just deranged. They don't feel yeah. 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 <laughs> They're not like us people in California. Yeah. All, right. all right. Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about this. I know that uh, it's it, it's a obstacle to get the word out as much as possible, and it affects a whole lot of people in our community whose kids are uh, taking school from their bedrooms right now, and it would be great to see how we can get them back out. Yeah, into yeah, classrooms. and I, I just want one other point. I really hope we can get our high schools and junior highs back, too. I think the governor is way underestimating the effects of all this on teenagers, um, so just to throw out that as well. When, when teenagers, when their main social interactions is on social media right now, that's not a good thing, so... Um, Hopefully we can get the upper grades back, too. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be nice to see it happen um, sooner rather than later, certainly before the entire spring semester is gone. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of jaw-dropping that a year later the kids still are out of school and we're going along without much hue and cry about it, really. it's I know that people mm-hmm. have been really scared about uh, schools being potential hotspots, uh, but wow, what a disruption! And it's an unfathomable, unfathomable disruption in our kids' lives to have gone on for so long. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, and hopefully, we'll be hearing more from you in this discussion. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank take you, care. Casey. Bye, bye. Well, that's going to do it. That that did do it because we're way over. We are way over. We yeah. are. 
we we took up extra time. Yeah. Ten more minutes than yeah. usual. So we're going to say goodbye for today, although we may not be back for a while. So we'll play know, it by air. It's, it's okay to go over a little bit on this Monday. Uh, we will be back when when the impeachment events allow us to be back with coronavirus. Once again, we're balancing between pandemic news and the impeachment. So it's deja vu all over again. But we will be back when uh, when we can. Uh, when the Senate trial is over, or, you know, who knows how, what, what the schedule is going to be for that. So in the meantime, stay safe and be well. Any last words? Nope. Continue the course. We are, we are getting there. It's going to be another month or two, but things are looking up. All right. On that, thanks for listening today, everyone. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Take care. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.